the letter to the Hebrews, and we come in chapter 13 to verses 7 through 8, which we'll be reading now. This is found on page 1197. Please stand out of respect for God's infallible word. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Our great and compassionate God, thank you for your constancy and faithfulness. Lord, in the ups and downs of life, how we praise you that you are the same forever. And we pray, we, we pray that you would show your constancy to us now, that notwithstanding any weakness of body or of spirit that we may feel, any distraction, that, Lord, we would be able to hear and to know and to understand, and by your grace, to truly internalize and live the word that you have spoken to us. You're a God of great power. You're also a God of great faithfulness, and we look forward to how you will work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think you all know that in American society today, there are tons of people who say they're Christian but are perfectly fine with not having any commitment to a particular church, a particular Christian community. Um, and there's lots of reasons for this. You know, I've had one person say to me, hey, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Implication being, look, I've got a, rep- a personal relationship with Jesus, so like, why do we need a church? It's sort of like optional bonus stuff. Or they say, no church is exactly the right match for me in my particular flavor of Christianity. So, I'm not going to commit to any place. Whatever the reason, whatever the reason that people give for not committing to a particular church, I want to point out one way today in which this is a particularly dangerous and toxic choice. It keeps them from having good leaders. And that may surprise you. Not having a particular church, not having a church family, one of the things that's bad about that is you don't have good leaders. Why should having a good leader be so important? I don't need a church leader (laughs) to be a Christian, many people would say. Indeed, the thought of that may really rankle some people. um, As if, you know, what are you saying? Are we somehow dependent on a relationship with God? Are we somehow dependent on on other people for that? And yet our passage for today says that having good leaders is absolutely critical for your growth in grace. It says, remember your leaders, not, you know, if you happen to have them. (laughs) No, this is taken for granted that you do, as a Christian, have leaders. And so we're going to see first what good leaders are like. Then we're going to see how having good leaders is so critical for being strengthened in our walk with Christ. And then we'll see how good leaders don't stand in the way of our relationship to Jesus, but are actually so important for drawing us 
closer to him. So he says, remember your leaders. What are these leaders that he's talking about? Why? What are they? What's so important about them that we need to hear? Um, what are they like, um, these leaders he's referring to? And let's talk first about the word leader. I believe here he's using a more general word, the word leader, to talk about the pastor and the elders of the church. Let me tell you why I think he's talking particularly about those leaders. Um, First is verse 7, he says, these leaders spoke the word of God to you. So that's their role. That's what they're doing. These leaders are those who spoke the word of God. And then he uses the same word down in verse 17, we'll get to that later, where he says, obey your leaders and to submit to them, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In other words, we're not just talking about kind of general leaders. We're talking about leaders that Jesus has put in charge of his church that have to then answer for their ministry. We're talking about those official leaders that God has appointed who one day need to answer to Jesus the King for how we've done. And so what are we to remember about them, these official leaders? Well, first, we should remember, he says, Remember how they spoke the word of God to you. They spoke the word of God to you. And if you remember in the context of the letter, I know it's always hard to remember when you've been going through this series for a while, but do you remember how important from the very get-go of this letter speaking is? God, in particular, speaking. Remember how the letter began? How he said, in former days, God spoke to us in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us climactically, in his son, Jesus. And the whole letter has been saying, do you realize the awesomeness of the age in which you now live? Do you realize how God is now revealed, has now revealed himself climactically in his son? And now here at the end of the letter, we see practically how that works out. Obviously, Jesus walked this earth. He had a ministry, an in-person ministry to his people. Now that he's been resurrected, how does his ministry continue? Through the leaders, through the leaders of the church. In fact, it blows my mind to think about this every time I think of it, because I know, I know my weakness and inadequacy, but when your pastor is preaching the Bible to you, or when your elders are speaking the word of God to you in a you know, private counseling kind of situation, this passage says, They are speaking the word of God to you. They are speaking the word of God to you. Despite all our faults, they are speaking the mighty and glorious and unsurpassable word of Jesus. It comes to us, the people of God, it comes to us by the decree of Jesus himself through the medium of weak and fallible people like me. That's amazing. And this is so important for us to remember. If you're ever in a situation of needing to find a new church, perhaps some of you young people, you will need to find a new church or anytime you relocate, one of the fundamental things you are to look for is someone is a church where there are leaders who are fulfilling what this passage says. Where the core message that you're hearing every week is not, oh, here's this little scripture that's sort of this launching point for talking about something else you want to talk about. But where the core of the message 
is the unfolding of the, the Bible, the Word of God. That the elders and pastors of, the, of your church, that they are thinking about, okay, I'm not concocting my own message here. I am rather an ambassador of King Jesus to his people. And I am speaking on his behalf the word that he has given once for all in the entire Bible for his saints. As you're thinking about this, this requires discernment. This requires you, if you think about it, it requires you to actually know your Bible. (laughs) To be able to discern, okay, he's kind of quotes the Bible at the beginning, but is he actually unfolding what the Bible is actually saying? It requires you to have your Bibles open. Looking at, okay, is what he's saying actually emerging from this text? Is he actually giving me what the passage is saying? That's the only solution to not being carried along by charisma and personality, right? There are people who are very, very persuasive, very, very charismatic, sound very, very convincing, very, very knowledgeable, and very, very unbiblical. And the only way you'll know is if you're opening your Bibles, reading them, following along, thinking about, is this coming from the Word? So the first thing that we're to remember about our leaders is they speak the Word of God to us. The second thing is this, their lives. Look at the middle of verse 7. Consider the outcome of their life. Outcome means that they've been living the Christian life for a while. Maybe they've even reached the end of their race. And so the result is you can see, okay, what's, what, what has there been their following of Jesus? What's been the fruit of that over the course of years and years? This is why we don't ordain new believers to the office of elder or pastors. In fact, 1 Timothy 3.6 requires us not to do this. And it's because we need to see the outcome of faithful living. And of course, we're not looking for somebody who's perfect or nobody would be an officer. But there's a difference between mature faith and new faith. So we're asking things like this. What, you know, what's the outcome of their life? Okay, well, what's their family life? That's a key cri- what's their family like? That's a key criteria criterion given in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Do you want your marriage to be like their marriage? Do you want your kids to be like their kids? What's their spirit like? Would you want to have their attitude when you're several decades into the Christian life? What's their reputation like with outsiders? 1 Timothy 3.7 says that the elder should be well thought of by outsiders. What's, and this is taking an even bigger step back, what's their life all about? Would you want to make big life decisions the way that they do? And I couldn't help as I was preparing this, thinking of Pastor and Mrs. Jackson and the outcome of their lives, that they were willing to leave what was comfortable and familiar here and to go to the other side of the world, far from family and grandkids. Why? For the sake of the gospel for the sake of training future leaders in Uganda. That's an exemplary choice. Consider the outcome of their life. They didn't just make that choice all of a sudden. There was a lot of lead up to that, right? That was the culmination of many, many years of following Jesus. So consider the outcome of your leaders' lives. That means your leaders can't just be talking heads, 
who propound good biblical teaching. They need to be living it so authentically that you can look at their lives and say, that's who I want to be when I grow up. So you're good leaders. Good leaders look like this. They talk the talk. In other words, the word of God is the heart of their message. And they walk the walk. Their lives aren't perfect, but they are radiant. And you want to be like them. Now, what the Lord wants us to see is that we really need these kind of people in our lives. We need to know them personally. We need to be with them. And that's our second point, how good leaders strengthen us. So verse 7, he says, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their lives. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention to them. And that means you should be seeking out your leaders. You should want to be with them and spend time with them. And of course, everybody has their limits, but there are often group opportunities to be with your leaders. The opposite of this would be someone who avoids leaders. And I, I sort of think of it as like the, the view that sometimes we have in elementary school of our teachers, like where we try to spend as little time around them as possible. And we're sort of like, the, the teacher is the person who gets you in trouble, right? I think there are a lot of people who have never gotten past the elementary school view of leaders when it comes to the leaders of this church. And yet, what did Jesus say? He said, I've got my disciples, I'm calling these guys so they could be with him. Mark 3, 14. We should want to be with our leaders, to be known by them and to know them. And, you know, maybe there's maybe part of why we don't want to be with our leaders is that we're ashamed of something about our lives. We say to ourselves, well, if they really saw me as I really, really am, and if they really knew what I struggled with, surely they'd condemn me. They'd, they'd, they'd not want to have anything more to do with me. What if we expected that as we spend time with our leaders, that what will come across will be the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who where there's no more condemnation, right, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he knows everything about us, Jesus. He knows everything about us, just like the woman at the well, right? He knew everything about her, and yet he didn't reject her. I can tell you that as the leaders of this church, we want to be incarnations of that grace. And we can't do it unless you let us in to your lives, unless you trust us to know you. So we are to be with our leaders, we're to know them and to be known by them. And then verse 7 says, then you'll be able to imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. And this is a big command in the New Testament. It's not just here. Uh, Philippians 3.17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So not just Paul saying, hey, look at me, imitate me. But he's also saying, anybody who's following the example that you see in us, imitate them too. Or Hebrews 6, verse 12, he says, Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And immediately we think of Hebrews 11, and all those people who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Why did he give you all of those, all those people to look at? Why did we spend so much time on Hebrews 11? So we could imitate their faith. So we could follow their example. This is a good thing, and it in no way detracts from Jesus' glory. And, and I love how Paul says it, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, 
You might think, hey, that sounds kind of stuck up. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus. Jesus is not threatened by you imitating other people who are following him. Because in imitating other people, you will be like him. They who are being conformed to Jesus, when, when you follow their example, you'll be more like Jesus. And in that way, he will be honored. I hope you're starting to see that you cannot live the Christian life alone. It's one thing to have the knowledge, to have the theory. I can remember reading when I first got married, all kinds of books on marriage and you know, child raising and stuff like this. And I thought, hey, I've got all the theory. I know all these Bible passages. I know exactly what to do. And then you realize, oh, wait, this is actually way harder than it looks. <laughs> There's actually way more to this. What did I need? I needed examples. I needed examples. I needed to remember all the examples I had already seen in my life, and I needed to seek out other examples. Some of you read music. It's one thing to see the notes on the page. And even you can play every note exactly right with the right rhythm, and yet you can miss the whole spirit of the piece. What do you need? You need to be part of that living tradition of music, of how this has been interpreted, and you need to hear other great musicians playing this so that then you catch it. It's something that simply can't be preserved on a page. The Christian life is not just taught, it is also caught. Let me just make this very, very pointed, because in this day and age, I need to add this. Listening to great preachers online is not good enough. Even listening to the live stream of your own pastor here at Covenant is not good enough. We publish the live stream for people who are stuck at home sick or who are incapacitated in some way, can't come. It is not meant to enable people to stay at home, get their little Christian boost, and then move on in their nice private lives where nobody knows them and they don't know anybody else. The greatest preachers in the world, you could listen to them, and you would never know them. And they don't know you. And you only get to see this very carefully curated picture of them that comes across through whatever their media stream is. And I want to say to you, if that is all the fare that you get, it is thin fare indeed. Hebrews 13.7 says you need to see You need to know your leaders so that you can imitate their faith. The Christian life is so much more than just a set of ideas. It's not just like getting the doctrine straight, boom, I'm all good. No, it's a way of life. You need lived out examples. How how are you living out? Like how how do you speak to your to your kids? How do you speak to your non-Christian friends? How do you how do you handle this or that? Follow the example. And there's, of course, an implicit command here to leaders. As leaders, in order for this to actually work, (laughs) we have to be living a life worthy to be imitated. And this is just one of the most challenging things you realize as you you, uh, even just become like a a husband or a dad. You start to realize, wow, my, my struggles in life are not just about me. Right? It's one thing to be angry and be miserable and alone, right? That's not good, right? But it's another thing to be angry, and then everybody else is miserable too. Now just elevate that to an even higher level, and you have what it's like 
to be a church leader. And, you, you know, there's no wonder that Paul says to Timothy, watch, keep a close watch on your life and your doctrine. Because there's so much that's writing on both. Um, look, we're sinners. All of us leaders, we are all sinners. What does it mean to keep a close watch on your life and doctrine? It's not saying be sinless. Instead, it's saying nip those sins in the bud. When they're still in bud form before the evil flower comes forth, pop, get rid of that horrible thing before it bears its poisonous fruit. Be quick, in other words, in repentance. And can I just say, this is a call, of course, to the leaders of this church. But it's also a call that applies to all the informal leaders as well. Teenagers, do you realize that all the younger kids are looking up to you? They all want to be like you. Or older teens, the younger teens are all taking their cues from you. The things that you laugh at, the things that you say are cool, the things that you say are not okay. Those have an enormous influence on the younger teens. Older women, you set the example and the tone for the younger women. Older men, same thing for the young men. And this is just part of what it means to be in a family, the family of God. Where we're not just trying to follow Jesus, but we're also learning about how to follow Jesus from everybody around us who's been following Jesus longer than us. It's part of the interconnectedness of our lives, that how you react and how you live and how you respond is not just about you. It's about everybody who's around you as well. But I want my younger brothers and sisters in Jesus to be making the same choices I'm making I hope that factors in. I hope that's something you're thinking about. And it's pretty staggering stuff, isn't it? I mean, who is worthy, honestly, <laughs> as you're thinking about this? Um, as leaders, we know our sin. We know how, full, how far short we fall. We know our weakness. We know the incredible limitations of us, <laughs> our time, our patience, everything. And as you're starting to digest what this passage is saying, maybe you're starting to think, hey, those people who say... Um, we should just give up on being part of a church and, and just it's far easier and safer to just live your little private Christian life, never known by anybody. It's actually a safer path. Maybe we're tempted to think that's the better way to go. After all, if you do it like that, nobody will ever betray your trust because you never gave your trust. And anybody who's had their leaders let them down Anybody who's had controlling or manipulative leaders, even abusive leaders, or who have had faithless pre leaders who preach really well and then they sell out to sin and leave everybody high and dry. Anybody who's had anything like that, whether it's in a church or in a home or in some other context, you know how incredibly difficult and, and just awful that is. And you know how incredibly difficult it is ever to trust anybody ever again after that. So why should we? Why should we embrace a community, a church, where there are fallible spiritual leaders? Yeah, there are these benefits, but isn't it just setting us up for disappointment? Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That verse is so often lifted out of context. We sometimes forget that comes right after verse 7. Why did he do that? Why did he say this amazing statement, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why did he say that right after he said, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their life, 
imitate their faith. Why do you then say Jesus Christ is the same? I think there are two reasons. First, the author of Hebrews, the reason why he's able to point to certain leaders and say, look at these people. Imitate the way of their, 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 their life. Look at the outcome of their faith. Imitate their faith. The reason why he's able to say that, the reason why he's able to point to people whose lives are worth imitating, who have good outcomes of their lives, is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's been faithful. He, I mean, do you believe this? Jesus is able to produce real fruit, lasting change of character and real fruit in the lives of human beings. Do you believe that? I mean, in an age where, like, it seems like every other week there's some, you know, news article about some super pastor who's done this inappropriate thing and it's tanked his ministry... We need to remember, because there's, be, there's never going to be a headline that says, um, Pastor Blank, nobody's ever heard of him, Pastor Blank has just died after 30 years of faithful ministry, leaving behind a godly family and a godly church and a godly reputation among the unbelievers in his town. Like, <laughs> you're just never going to see that, right? It doesn't make for good headlines. And yet, it's real. And any time that happens, as any pastor who's been in the ministry longer than a couple months can tell you, any time that that happens, 30 years of faithfulness or whatever, finishes well, finishes the race well, any time that happens, it's because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's so faithful, he's so unswervingly good, even when you are not. And just a reminder... It's rarely visible to you, but as pastors, we are human beings. <laughs> we go through the same cycles as you all do. We have vibrant stretches and we have dry stretches. Every week, though, we need to come with enthusiasm, bringing to you with joy the Word of God. And yet there are times, as one pastor puts it, it's kind of a stark way of saying it, but there are times when you are preaching over your own dead body. <laughs> where you're just feeling so hollow, so discouraged, um, just feeling so defeated. And here you are, it's kind of ironic, but you're, here you are ministering hope while you're feeling hopeless. And you're, you're encouraging faith while you yourself are struggling to believe just the core gospel promise that Jesus is going to win. Now, I can encourage you, that's not how I'm feeling at this present moment. <laughs> just say it. Okay. But I can tell you that I have felt this way. And the sole reason I haven't given up is Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So can I ask? Pray for your leaders. Pray that we would finish well. We do not want to go down in a ball of flames. <laughs> At the end of, the hist of history, when all is disclosed, and we say, oh, faithful pastor who made it through 30 years of ministry, leaves a godly family, leaves a godly church, how did he do it? Well, it'll be like, well, so-and-so uh, was praying for him, and so-and-so was praying for him, and you get the idea. Jesus. Now, the second reason why Jesus brings up, why, why he says Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever after this part about leaders, second reason why I think he says this is the last thing I want to say. It's to defeat one thing that's going to completely short-circuit your ability to keep this passage. 
One thing that will keep us from looking to older believers as an example, and this is especially true for younger, younger Christians, is that we are tempted to think, as younger Christians and as younger people, older people, what do they really know? Older people, they just don't understand how things are now. They couldn't possibly know what I'm going through. They could, they, what I'm doing, going through right now is so remote to them, I'm sure they have no clue. Can I ask, what if the goal of the church is actually conformity across the ages? What if we don't have to make it such that every generation has to kind of reinvent the wheel? What if we, what if we, you know, what if like what the way that the Christian church has lived for 2,000 years, what if the goal is that our lives today would match the lives of the saints who have gone before? In other words, that their lives are the template for our lives. In other words, (laughs) their example is worthy of being followed. And of course, is there a sense, is there a sense in which um, the church is always growing in its understanding of the word, that there's like this, this overarching, you know, improvement in how we're keeping the word? Of course. But you can't improve how you keep the word if you haven't first stood on the shoulders who've gone before you. The only way we can really grow is if we stand on the shoulders who have gone before, if we master the way of living that those who have gone before us have done, and then seek to improve. Young people, my prayer for you is that you would surpass this present generation in godliness and Christ-likeness. And if you are to do so, you need to follow our example. You need to internalize the faith from us to be able to improve upon it for the generation to come. And the good news is, the Lord Jesus will show himself more than sufficient as we, fallible though we are, seek to impart ourselves to you in love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the intergenerational body that we are. We thank you for those who've gone before us, and I'm sure all of us can think of godly parents and mentors and teachers and just friends who have modeled the Christian life to us in a way that was just so helpful to us. Help us, Lord, to do the same. Help us to live exemplary lives that we would want other people to imitate. Help us, Lord, to be a healthy intergenerational church where there really is one generation imparting itself to the next. And Lord, we pray, help us as a church to be humble, to be willing to learn from the generation that's gone before, to really hunger for their input into our lives and for the wisdom that they have as they point us to you, Jesus, you who are the same yesterday, today, and forever, you who we all want to be conformed to, you who are the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.